Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about our ongoing thesis, and that is digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. What are the? What does that exactly does that mean? It means that as a small business, we have never had the opportunity to produce media content with our smartphone and publish it directly to the consumer. It's such an exciting time, and every single week, we try to bring on people that are doing incredible things in different fields. Today's guest is a dear friend of one of my friends. This is the first time that I'm having a conversation with today's guest, but that's the beauty about digital hospitality is we make these deep connections in real life, and then we can meet people through a Zoom call, through a podcast, through a TikTok video, and you can actually develop a deep, uh, deep relationship with somebody. Today's guest is Mandy Graziano. She is an author, a public speaker, a conference specialist, hotel expert, a sales and business coach, and more importantly, uh, she's a close friend of Nicole Matthews, who is a previous guest on Digital Hospitality. Um, she is one of my mentors in the event space, planning space, and marketing space. She does incredible work, and anytime she recommends somebody in my life. Um, I know she's going to bring in tr tremendous value to you guys, the listeners. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And just raise a glass to Nicole. She says she's quite a gem. <laughs> what a connector she is. I, I just love her. She is a super connector. She, wow. she knows how to develop deep relationships. Mandy, I'd love for you. So anybody that's listening to the show, this episode is going to be really exciting because Mandy has written a book. It's called Sales Tales. It's available on Kindle, on Amazon. It's already breaking the charts. Um, can't wait for the hard copy and the paperback to come out. But it's super exciting for, for me as somebody that's in the barbecue business, the media business. But I'm also a parent. So we're talking about sales and negotiation. And I've you know, read a snippet of your book, but I, I can't wait to dig deep so that you can really add some value to the people listening to this show about all the sales that you've learned dealing with some big time deals with in the event business, the hotel business, and really why you came up with this book. Why did you write the book? Yeah, you know, um, well, before I tell you that, I have to tell you hot off the presses. I literally just learned this 10 minutes ago. My hard copy, uh, hardcover book is up right now on Amazon. And no way. Mobile. Yeah. Amazing. So paperback and hardcover just came up a, a couple minutes ago on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you congratulations. That is amazing. Congratulations. So thank you. Um, thank well, you. Stover will put a link in the uh, in the show notes so you guys can purchase a copy. Uh, we always try to support our authors whenever we can. Coming on the show, we you know hearing the stories of why you wrote the book, how you wrote the book, but it really brings the podcast to life and it allows our listeners, somebody that, you know, listens to, to your voice or watches you on YouTube, then they can actually dig into the book. And, you know, what I love about books is my grandfather taught me to always be learning, to stay curious. And, you know, so much knowledge gets passed down when an author takes the time to really go through those secrets that they learned, the truths you know, we, there's something that we learn in school. And then there's the truths that we learn when we're actually on the ground running our businesses. And um, why'd you write the book? Hey, man, real life truth bombs for sure. Um, so I wrote the book, you know, I've been writing since I was a little girl. I've always been that nerd that carries around a journal with me, whether I'm just sketching out characters or whether I'm observing something, maybe it's a surprise order at Luna Grill or something like that. So <laughs> I'm always observing and writing. 
And it's interesting. I never intended on writing a business book ever. I honestly thought my very first book would be fiction. It would be fun. And I ended up writing a fun business book instead. Um, and so I would say, gosh, in 2017, I was going through all my journals and I, there's at least 70 of these journals and I hired a writing coach and she said, Hey, can you write about sales? And I said, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I'm living and breathing sales and business all day, every day. This is supposed to be fun. Why would I do that? And she said, because when I read your writing, the tone in your voice changes. The, The reading is so much more entertaining when you are writing about business. Is there something in there? Can we do that? And I said, sure, let's see. So I dug into the archives from the last 23 years as a coach and as a sales and marketing leader in the hospitality industry. And then as a buyer now on the other side for conferences. And I pulled all of these stories out and I wrote it because for two reasons. Um, I wrote the book Sales Tales in the order of a typical sale. So it doesn't matter what industry you are a part of. There is a standard sales cycle, right? So there's prospecting, networking, building relationships, making presentations, managing time, which I think is the crux of every business person's day, right? And then disaster selling. I mean, I covered COVID-19 as well as the auto crisis and September 11th. And so I wanted to write a story. I didn't want it to be a boring business book. So I used the story arc of a standard sale, right? And then I peppered in all these entertaining and enlightening and educational stories that give the reader some business nuggets that they can take away and apply to their daily life. And I wrote it in a relatable and funny way because I feel like our business life right now is heavy. It's deep intense. And I felt like I don't want to be a part of one more business book that gives me a headache. (laughs) I want to be a part of the fun. And I think things are so much more relatable and applicable when you get a little giggle out of it. So I wrote it in that way for that reason. But the other reason I wrote the book, and this is probably like the deeper Freudian reason, I wrote it because I really, really wanted to disarm the stigma of sales. I believe so deeply that we all need sales in every part of our life our personal lives and our professional lives. I know you said as a parent, all the negotiations you've got to do with your gremlins. Four, on a four-year-old and a two-year-old and they're, they're, I mean, they're professional. Oh yeah. They professional are negotiators. I bet. I bet. Yeah. What's like, what's something you had to negotiate with them recently where you were like, geez, they're good. I mean, it's from, from bedtime to when can they eat or when can they watch cartoons to, you know, it's literally everything. And and they're so good at it. They're, I mean, they're so good. My daughter doesn't, she doesn't even speak in complete sentences. She (laughs) knows how to work her mom or work me to, you know, try to get what she wants. Yeah. And it's that persistent. So, yeah. So that's the other reason, right? I just, and I think I've had so many people in my life. I did it myself, right? My very first sales job, I lied about my job because I was embarrassed to say I was in sales. It's so stupid because I was, I was okay at that job. But the reality is, is I was selling something and a good salesperson is a listener and an educator. And you're, you're, you're giving something, you're solving a problem for people. So I really wanted to disarm that stigma. And, you know, I have got great friends that are inventors and they are awesome at engineering, but they don't know how to make a pitch or, I've got great friends that are really, really good at time management. They can organize the heck out of a day, 
but they don't know how to say no or set boundaries or make a presentation. So I, I wrote it with all these different people in mind and I share all these stories. I actually share stories from people that I've worked with that I admire. I share stories about bad clients. I've changed the names. <laughs> and I just, I really wanted to bring that to light um, and, and make sure that I'm as much of a sales advocate as I possibly can. Cause we need it. It's here and we got to get comfortable with it. I love that. And I, I think it, it's so important. It's one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is everybody is in sales and everyone's also in marketing and mm -hmm. branding. I mean, these are things that th this is the ecosystem that we live in. And like you said, somebody that's an engineer, I would argue that person that is an engineer, the one that takes the time to listen to a podcast like this, read a book like yours, claim their LinkedIn page, put a profile up, put their, all of a sudden they're going to create opportunities that all the other engineers in their, in, not just in their company, but in the entire field, because now they're communicating who they are and what they do, why it's important for what they're doing as a company, why it's important for the industry, why it's important for the solution, their end client, all of a sudden they're become a storyteller for through sure. lessons and through stories, we all become better. And it doesn't matter what field you're in. What, uh, give me an example of a story of, of, a, of a horror story that you've put in the book. Oh gosh, a horror story. I tell two pretty deep detailed stories about firing clients. And it's in the chapter, time is your greatest asset, because I think we all are guilty of this. Um, and some of us earlier on in our career and others of just keeping clients on too long or keeping employees on too long that are just time sucks. And um, if you wake up with a gut pain because of a client or because of a customer, you got to <laughs> fire them. It's not worth it. Yes. But I think we hold on to them so much. So, um, you know, I have a, I have a, a client on the, um, on the conference side who, it just, she, she, um, he never listened. He would ask me to send things over and over and over again. He had major mob mentality. If you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. I was always on the chopping block, even though I know I was doing such a great job. I didn't have that type of relationship with any other customer, sure. but you know, the type A and some of us and the self graders, we want to keep getting better at all these relationships. So you keep people on, then you're also worried. Well, you know, if I lose this vendor, if I lose this customer, am I going to ruin my business? What does that mean for me paying my mortgage or my business lease? And so, you know, it, it goes pretty in deep uh, as to why you should fire a client, the red, I call them pink flags, because I think the pink come before the red, all the flags that tell you to fire the client, and then just, you know, how I did it in those couple of circumstances. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, especially for me in the restaurant space, the knowing that we can't be everything to everyone. Right. When we opened up the restaurant, we want to take care of the village. We want to provide breakfast. We want to provide lunch. We want to provide dinner. We want to have a sports bar. We want it to be family friendly. And then all of a sudden we've got Cheesecake Factory and we're a brand new restaurant. And it's yeah. like, as these 13 years have gone on, we've really parred down to our core of who we are and what we do. And that's literally the in and out of barbecue. We want to do digital barbecue. We want to be the Amazon Prime of barbecue. It's taken us 13 years to get down to that sales and that marketing pitch when before, you know, when we first opened the doors, it was, we're doing 50 cent wings and the uh -huh. customers that are coming in are running our staff around. We're not making money off of it. They're creating all these problems and all these headaches. Yeah. When you remove yourself from the situation, you go, is it really worth it 
to have 300 customers come instead of 200 customers so that those extra hundred are paying 50 cents for wings and they're not, they're creating all this extra drama in our lives and all this extra work. It's, it's really not. It. It's never worth it. And I, I write about that a little bit. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before and I can't remember. It was a boss a long time ago. Um, he's, he taught me about the dollars to grief ratio and you know, it's, is, is it, you know, if you look at the amount of dollars that come in and you weigh the grief against it, the grief is always going to outweigh the dollars with certain customers. And I, I don't want this to come off of like, I'm just a customer slasher. That's not me. No, I love correct. all customers. Come on, come on. But sure. you really have to look at your business strategically and smart and make sure it's good for everybody. And if that means you hone down to just one or two things that you do really, really well, and you price it in a way that you have repeat customers that appreciate what you do and see value in your business, then do that. And that takes a long time to do, but I get that dollars degree ratio is a big button, especially in the restaurant business for sure. So tell me about building your hotel business, the hotel side, the conference side of your business. When, when did you start to really gain traction and starting to really build that client base? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I started that in 2010. And the CEO of HPN Global, Bill Kilberg, great guy, um, very well known in the industry. HPN was my client for 10 years prior. So I've actually known them since they started their business. They were one of my top customers. And over the years, he had asked me, can you come over to our side? Can you come over to our side? I just, I wasn't ready for various reasons. And then finally in 2010, I was ready. The stars and the moon aligned and I came over and, you know, it's a hundred percent commission gig. And you have to really like prospecting and you have to really like talking to people and you have to really understand you're going to hear no a whole bunch. So, you know, I, in the first that's, in, that's very important. Hearing no is very important. I hope, I hope you can expand on that a little bit more because we just actually posted, we're going to be launching another podcast, our second podcast called awesome. restaurant influencers. It's in conjunction with entrepreneur magazine and with Yelp, but we had 53 no's essentially. So like, until we get to our yes, but you have to be willing to get through all of those no's. Yes. Um, tell me, tell me about your process of no um, rejection. And I love no's. Like, give me a no. That's <laughs> food, right? Like, I will get you to a yeah. Tell me a no. I like that. And there's a couple stories in the book about a bunch of no, thirteen no's, um, not fifty three. That's persistent. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I love that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's just you know, you call everybody, you know, in the first week and then, and then you're like, okay, then what? Right. Um, and you get better and better. And ultimately the service is so great, right? It's a service that the client doesn't pay for the hotels pay your commission and they pay your commission on guest room rates, but your client is benefiting from negotiated food and beverage minimums, audio visual, all these concessions, all this pricing, but you're only getting compensated on the guest room. So it's once you can get somebody on the phone that wants to hear that, it's a no brainer, but it's just a matter of helping getting people to listen to you. So I did all sorts of things. I sent emails to friends and family. I attended pretty much every um, organization that wasn't in hospitality. I wanted to expand out. So I was a member of all sorts of different organizations and just explained what I did. I basically was saying, if you think of a hotel or you think of travel, think of me. And if I can't help you, I will connect you to somebody that can help you. And that's really how I built it from there. And then I just got referrals and I built it from referrals. But I really was vigilant about hitting the phones and prospecting and not leaving messages, just calling and dialing and dialing and then mixing it up with 
emails. And I mean, this was a while ago. This was before I used Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or anything like that. But um, I did use LinkedIn at that time. And then anytime I would get a referral, I would just thank people. I would reward people um, and then let them know how much that meant to me. You know, personally, I would let them know financially what yeah. that meant to me. So I think that was meaningful. But yeah, it took, I would say about three years to get to where I personally wanted to be. I had instant traction, which I was lucky. You know, some people have instant traction. Some people don't. I started at the, about the right time in 2010. But um, it took me about three years to get to my sweet spot of, you know, I knew exactly what I was doing. I felt really comfortable. But I, I mean, I still prospect to this day. I'm still email, email prospecting all the time, trying all sorts of different tips and tricks. I get a lot of leads from Facebook and Instagram from People that say, you know, I met a guy at a wedding back in 20, 2008. I crashed a wedding. I was a guest. I don't even remember where my date went, but I ended up talking to this guy and his wife. And we still say table eight is great all the time. But, you know, he started talking about, um, you know, his work and my work and all that. And then we became Facebook friends. Several years later, he sent me a direct message and said, hey, I've got a plan. And he's a chief marketing officer. I've got a plan, a president's club trip for 20 people. Is this something that you do? I'm like, yes, like all day, every day. This is That's something exactly I do. what I do. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just really, I think I built the business through educating people because it is kind of weird. People are like, oh, you plan parties? No, I don't plan parties. They're like, <laughs> oh, you have such a fun job. You travel everywhere. I'm like, I barely see the sun. You know, but, like, <laughs> but it's okay. Like if people want to think I'm on a, on a, you know, on a beach with a pina colada for work, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, well, anybody that comes to a tailgate that we put on or a barbecue festival or comes to a full bar, it's like, oh, what a great life owning a restaurant or being in the event business or look yeah. at all you guys are hosting this incredible 50 professional barbecue teams at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. Like what an amazing experience. You're like you have no idea. My eyes are bleeding. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, really my knees my are... <laughs> I've got player fasciitis. Yeah. Yes. It is rewarding though, right? Because you are solving people's problems, but it, it looks so much different to people that don't know what you do for sure. Sure, sure. I, I think one of the things that I love, especially when we're on this podcast is talking about, you know, you're a sales professional that just said you've built your business, you know, using relationships, dialing on the phone, sending emails. But, you know, as things have changed in the last 10 years, as we have started to adapt to smartphone storytelling, which is what we talk about every single week, is you've noticed that all of a sudden you're getting Facebook leads. All of a sudden you're posting content on Instagram. All of a sudden you have a TikTok account. I mean, anybody that's watching on YouTube, you can see Mandy has an incredible TikTok account. I'm already following you. I was on a club. I was on a clubhouse call earlier today. Every Friday we do a clubhouse call with our Cali barbecue media team. And we have a lot of friends that also host podcasts that are on there. And Kyle and Sarah, who we've had on this show, he also has a podcast, but he was telling the story on clubhouse that the reason why he creates content, the reason why he's willing to look ridiculous on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or do video or do podcasts is like, there's all these oh shit moments where literally he did a video about his French bulldog. That French bulldog led to a client because he's in commercial real estate contacting him and an $8.5 million listing for a restaurant. Awesome. Just um, because yeah. of the connection yeah. of the French bulldog. Mm -hmm. And it takes a certain type of personality, but it also takes somebody that's a friend in your circle to say, hey, you know, how many sales professionals are in your circle that see you on TikTok and go, Mandy, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. 
No, no. Yeah. They, well, they, they, they're like, oh, are you dancing? I'm like, are you dancing oh, on TikTok? That's the best. Dancing. You know, you're right. It's funny that you say that though, because I would say early on, this is before I, I came to the other side with HPN, probably early on in my career, I was one of those people who was very thinly veiled about work Mandy and fun Mandy, right? And then I really learned once I started the coaching business in 07, and then once I started the HPN side, I, I was like, these all blend together and yes. it's totally okay. Now, everybody has a different idea of it, but it's interesting that you say the guy that posts the thing about the French bulldog led to an $8.5 million deal. Cause I believe that too. I feel like you just have to be your authentic self and you don't, you don't know when you're something you're doing is going to resonate with somebody else. My husband jokes about this all the time. He doesn't have any social media. He's a total creeper. <laughs> total creep. Well, he does have social media. He just doesn't post content to social. No, media. he's got mine. He has mine <laughs> on his phone. So sometimes he will make comments. Oh and no my way! My phone will be blowing up. I'm like, all right, dude, you've got to sign your own name moving forward. <laughs> yeah. But, um, he will. It's funny. We have a joke because anytime I post a picture of him, it gets way more engagement, way more right? more anything. Of course. And it's like, and, and he's always doing something stupid or funny. And he's like, what would your business be without me? I'm like, I don't post it for my business. I post it literally because people are like, what is that weirdo up to today? Correct. And, and it is true. You know, whether it's a French bulldog or a super fun, awesome husband, like, I think that's all a part of like who you are as a brand and you, and you've got to be who you are in real life, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, it's funny. My, my wife gets way more engagement whenever she's on a video with us or my kids are on a video. It's, it's because it, it's relatable. It doesn't matter. And you have so many people and you don't know where business is going to come from, not necessarily yeah. your follower, but maybe somebody that's their uncle, you know, maybe it's somebody that's their, their wife, somebody that they're, they're at the school PTA meeting and someone starts talking about a barbecue wedding, you know, catering and like, who should we look at? And then all of a sudden they're talking about us, not because yeah. I posted ribs, but because I was, you know, looking ridiculous, like, you know, cleaning the backyard with my kids and posting that on, on TikTok, you know, you never know where that's going to come from. And I think that's, you know, part of the most exciting part of being where we are right now in 2021, being an author that's willing to go out and to lean into your crazy. So we had a, we had Phyllis uh, Williams Strotter. She was a podcast guest. It's one of the favorite, favorite quotes that I have of doing this podcast. And she's, she teaches brands to lean into their crazy. Because we all have a crazy, but we that. all pretend to have that work life balance. Like this is me and work. So this is my work Instagram account. And this is my personal Instagram account that's protected that I don't let anyone see. But ultimately, it's just one life. And the more that you lean into that one life, the more you lean into that crazy, the deeper relationships that you actually start to create and cultivate because people go, fuck, I like Mandy. She has, she has no problem looking funny, talking funny, you know, showing us her dog, showing us her husband, like all of those things make you and they complete you. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, and I, I haven't heard lean into your crazy yet. <laughs> I love that. I just wrote that down. Isn't it good? It's so good. I'm going to find that lady and follow her. Cause I, love oh, she that. is, she is I straight fire. Her. She is one of the best, definitely one of the best clubhouse follows. And, uh, she's phenomenal. I got her on TikTok too. So she's starting to put out some TikTok content, but yeah, lean into your crazy. I love that. I, I like to say fly your freak flag, but it's all the same. I love, fly your, I love the fly your freak flag. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me, tell me about what, what's business bedside manner? 
Yes. Well, business, business bedside manner is something I started talking about probably around April or May of 2020 during COVID when I, I, I had, you know, at that time, probably only canceled, Oh, I don't know, 35 meetings. Wow. My, my grand total is about 163 contracts that I moved shifted or canceled out of 2020 to 2021 or future years. Wow. And these are all conferences all over the world. So it was in the midst of that where I noticed we all changed, right? And I noticed people were being mean to each other and they weren't asking each other questions. And it, it reminded me of when I was at the doctor, when, you know, I go to my annual checkup, I got all sorts of aches, pains, questions, and I come prepared. I've got my notes on my phone and I want that person to spend some time with me to answer my questions and make sure I'm getting the right tests and make sure I'm taking care of my health. And there are, and I love my doctor, but there have been times where it's fast, it's rushed. No, they're not listening to me. They're not paying attention to what's going on in my life and things change in my life on a daily, weekly, annual basis. And it's bad bedside manner. And what I was seeing happening in the middle of 2020 was some people were fine tuning their business bedside manner. And some people were just off the rails, really bad business bedside manner. And so I coined this term, I trademarked it. I loved it so much that, you know, and I wrote a, a bunch about it. It's on my website about what is your business bedside manner? Do you ask people, Hey, how are you doing today? Or what made you laugh this week? You know, what is your, what is your thing? And how are you adjusting to re-entry into the world? How are you adjusting to all these business climate changes? Because conditions are changing pretty frequently and your customers have changed. Their needs have changed. Their situations have changed, right? Some of us have lost loved ones during COVID. Some of us are homeschooling and pulling our hair out. Some of us are now doing 20 jobs instead of 10. And, and I think that whole business bedside manner is it's just an approach, right? So I like to challenge people and I've been challenging myself is what is your business bedside manner? If you don't have one, establish one. If you think you have one, it's probably time to revive it or renew it or, you know, refine it something, but really just take an approach of, you know, really caring about your customers and you're at a different level with each customer base, whatever that is, but really understanding like, Hey, what is keeping you up at night? Cause what keeps your customer up at night today is not what it kept, what kept your customer up at night in 2019. So it's really just all encompassing your approach and making sure your approach, your approach is specific and customized to each individual customer. Are all your customers, your friends? I think so. I mean, I consider them my friends. I like them. They mean, I, I think they like me, but yeah, I mean, I, I go pretty deep with, with customers for sure. What about you? Are, are most of your customers your friends? Yeah, I mean, I, I just as you were talking about bedside manner, I was thinking about what is our bedside manner, and it, yeah. it reminds me of empathy, and it reminds me of you know one of my favorite quotes um, from the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh, which is we we will be friends forever, just you wait and see. Aww. Like developing a deep relationship with someone, we only have so much limited time, and yeah. it goes back to why. People are so obsessed with the viral video. That, that's like the transaction side of business. And yeah. we're really trying to build roots and we're trying to build people that 
if we care about what they do, if we listen to what they do, if we're a bar, if we're a restaurant, if we're a small business, if we're in sales, if we're in marketing, if we really listen to our customer, as opposed to just going, this is what I can sell you, come buy some barbecue, come book this event. But if we listen, you know, maybe it's not going to be now, but maybe it's three years from now. And you have no idea that that person might lead me to the investor that I need for $5 million to, br to bring my brand to the next level. You just have no idea who's listening. And when you think of it as a friendship, you know, that's for me, when I think of our bedside manner, that's what I think of. I think that's awesome. And I think listening is a key stone differentiator because so many people don't listen in your personal and your professional life. And if you can really hone that talent and really get good at it, you are finding out things that aren't even being said if you yes. get to a deeper level of listening. And I think that's super important in business. How do you ask better questions as a sales professional? Ooh, that's a good, that's a great open-ended question. <laughs> um, I, think, I mean, I think, I think listening, I, I think, listening right is is key to victory i'll give you an example earlier today i had a customer uh we were going back and forth on email and i asked how somebody in his family was doing because i know that there were some medical issues and he was sharing some dates of you know this this is when this happens this is when this happens and i just went straight to my calendar and i put the date in and check in on him and that, that took me two minutes right but yeah. that when that date comes up and then i ask about it and i truly do care and if I didn't put it in my calendar, I probably would forget, not because I don't care, but because it, my brain is filled with all sorts of crazy, like your friend, Gail, I think it's Gail. <laughs> Phyllis, um, that's okay. That's all right. Phyllis, says, Phyllis will forgive you. <laughs> thank you, Phyllis. She sounds forgiving. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. But yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think really listening to what people are saying, taking notes, putting stuff in your calendar, and then following up on it, I think is really important. Um, and then really asking open-ended questions. It sounds so salesy 101, but there's, you get so much more out of saying why instead of saying, you know, do. Um, and, I, and I think just really knowing that each question can lead to another question, right? So, you know, why do you like this? Well, I like this because of this. Oh, well, what is it about this that you like? I mean, there's just deeper levels of questions when you just keep it going with an open-ended question. Why is it important to do due diligence as a sales professional? Oh, God, I love preparation. Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it, there's two things. I think there's privilege in presentation. You know, not everybody says yes to every request you make for a phone call or an appointment or a email. And you've got to treat that with respect, right? And being prepared for that, even if it's a 10 minute phone call, being prepared for that is super, super important. And you got to do your due diligence. You have to know you're talking to, and you've got to decide, do you want to work with them as much as they want to work with you, right? It's not always about, hey, I'm hungry for your business. It's like, is this the right fit for my business, for my bench right now? Um, and then I also think do, doing your due diligence displays confidence. And I think people like to work with people that are confident, not egotistical, um, but confident, truly confident, know your numbers, understand who you're talking to, all that good stuff. Do you have any stories of when that due diligence created that, oh shit, memorable moment for a client? I mean, I have, there's a, there's a story that comes to my mind where I remember specifically, I was so not prepared for a meeting. And, um, and it wasn't that I wasn't prepared. It was, but yes, yes. And no, it was, 
it was a meeting, gosh, this was, I think back in like 2007 or so, but I remember it just as you said that I remember me having like a bead of sweat going down my face. <laughs> um, but I, I was presenting renovations on a brand new project uh, for a hotel I was working for. And I had everything printed up. I had everything really ready to go. And I had, I did a great presentation on my laptop and, um, but I didn't ask about plugs or wireless or anything. And then I also, I didn't plan for traffic and I don't know why that's kind of stupid. Um, and so I was late to get there. When I got there, I was sort of super flustered. I couldn't figure out how to get online. I mean, it was a real rookie mistake, but I wasn't a rookie at that point. I should have known better. Um, and I remember, you know, a little bit while later, the person that invited me to do the presentation, when she walked me out, she's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? I'm like, I just, I think I blew it. She's like, you didn't blow it because I'm here. She's like, but you are sweating <laughs> and it doesn't, you didn't do well, you know, and she was yeah. honest with me and I appreciated that. But, you know, something as simple as driving to the appointment the night before, even if it's 10 o'clock at night, so you really know what's going to happen or going on Google Maps the day before and seeing, okay, what is traffic like that time of day and giving myself an extra 30 minutes? Um, you know, the, the little things like that, but that went terribly awry. But I will tell you another time where a meeting went awesome that I barely prepared for. And that actually helped me adopt a different train of thought where sometimes I will go into a meeting half-baked, meaning like if I over-prepare for something yeah. and I'm not leaving space for what magic that could happen, like the freestyling that inevitably happens in meetings. Yeah. And so I try and strike that fine balance between being ready, knowing my audience, knowing the customer, knowing the numbers and being half-baked, right? Being open to anything that happens before my very eyes. So it's, it, I think it's, a, there's a fine line there. Yeah, no, that's, it's great. It's funny. As you're telling the story, I'm thinking through my mind of times where we haven't prepared enough, like if, especially if we're going to be doing, and it's funny because we're in the event space too. So one of the things that I've learned through tailgating is the site selection, you know, going on this site visit, it's oh, yeah. such a foreign concept unless you're in the event business. Right. But what, what, there's a reason why you start to go on a site visit because what comes out of the client's mouth saying, oh yeah, there's going to be this plug and there's going to be this. And until you go there and you actually see the layout and then logistically, well, it's going to take us 45 minutes to get our equipment from one side of, of this parking lot to the other side. You know, Next week, I'm going to be going to SoFi Stadium, which is the brand new Chargers and Raiders Stadium. Two I billion... $2 billion stadium that my, my media mentor, David Meltzer has a podcast studio inside of the stadium. Awesome. So literally I've gotten a half an hour of his time to do one of our restaurant influencers podcasts, but like I'm bringing somebody new from our rising tides team and I haven't followed up enough to make sure that he's coordinating the right questions mm -hmm. because normally that's somebody else that's doing it. So just by you telling me your story is helping <laughs> me understand that, 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 that information is important because yeah. when I go there and I have my limited time because his whole day is booked, I've got a half an hour of time, literally at 10 AM, we have to have all of our, and just because it's a podcast studio, I can't make any assumptions. Like, yes. how are we going to get the video file? How are we going to get the audio file? Is there the right lighting that we need? You know, do I have the camera? Do I have the clearance? Where am I parking? How long is it going to take? You know, what's my, what's the traffic getting up to SoFi? If I don't know all those things, by the time yeah. I get there, then I'm going to have sweat beating down my, even though I it's, you know, I know David, I've 
interviewed him mil- uh, like hundreds of times by now, mm-hmm. but exactly what you said, that's so important. The preparation. That little preparation is, is so important. And it's funny because I love doing site inspections with my clients because I learned so much about them. It, that's another deeper level of a relationship, right? Because you know, there's little things coming out. They're asking about a different type of suite where now you're like, oh, it's not the CEO that cares about this. It's the CTO. And why does the CTO matter? Oh, because she is the sister to so-and-so, the founder of the company. Yes. And I do, I do love um, site inspections. And I feel like that's where, you know, one of my differentiators where I shine on that side of the business, because like you're saying, everything you just listed off, I'm like, oh, that guy, that guy knows what he's doing. He he obviously knows how to run a podcast, but like when you're asking all these questions that may feel annoying to be asking, the person yes. on the stand is like, oh, this person is confident. They know what they're doing and they're asking me questions that I haven't thought of. And and so I I, I love hearing all the list of questions that you said, but I, I like to do that in site inspections too, not just to ask questions, but just to make sure that it, it truly is going to happen the way you think or you hope it's going to happen, right? Isn't that incredible? And like, just thinking about like your speaking business Mm -hmm. as a speaker, if you ask the right questions, if you go and you do a site visit, if you ask not just the person that's booked you, but you know, who are the people that are going to be attending this speech? You know, what do Mm -hmm. they care about? What are they learning about? What's the topic about the more that you learn, the more value that you can actually add. What, um, what tips do you have for anybody that's going to be giving a speaking presentation? Yeah, well, um, I I have a whole bunch of tips, um, but you know, I, I think that's such a blessing to be able to convene in a room with people, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour and a half. I think that is such a magical moment. And the more questions you can ask, the more meaningful you can make it and the more interactive you can make it. Um, and I really believe in speaking from the heart, you know, be prepared, make sure you're on time. Um, I, I always have index cards. I have something printed up and then you have everything, you know, um, everything on the stick for your teleprompter, but I always have back like three different backups just in case power goes out, internet goes out, or you end up having to relocate to a parking lot, you know, then you've got all the different ways to, you know, to sounds get- like you've been in the event business. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Literally. Yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, I I think speaking from the heart's important. I think asking, you know, what is the biggest thing on the minds of your attendees right now? And another great question I love to ask is when you walk away and you hear people talking either in the foyers or at the lobby bar, what do you want them to be talking about? And you can craft, you know, I love crafting a speech that gets people talking about something that's related to their business, whether it is medical or beauty or PR or whatever it is. Um, and and it, I think that helps the, the owner of that meeting or the person hiring you think, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I want my people to be talking about, but let me think about it. And then when they start listening to chatter, then it kind of helps me create something too. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I think being prepared is important in timing wise is obviously very important. Um, but one tip that I have that, I just came up recently, people kind of giggled when I asked the question, but I learned the hard way is if you're going to provide a chair for me, is it a low chair or is it a high chair? Because the very first time I spoke um, and somebody gave me a, a taller chair, like a bench, yeah. I am very short. I'm only five foot two <laughs> and I tend to wear dresses because dresses are just easier to pack. 
And I, I couldn't, my feet didn't reach the still. So I was like a little girl with my little feet just banging. <laughs> I didn't look terribly professional. Everybody was fine. So now I always ask, can you, can I have a low chair? And I'm not trying to be a diva. I'm just trying to be more comfortable speaking. So sure. I think the more you speak that, you know, you just find out what makes you comfortable. You don't have to ask for the green M&Ms or, or have the this rider, maybe two, but like, I like to, if I'm physically comfortable yes. um, and I, I deliver a much more powerful message and the attendees get so much more out of it. I love that. One of the things I love to ask is anybody that's a high performer, somebody that's a coach, you spend so much time taking care of clients, teaching them all the things that you've learned. Who's your coach? Who's your mentor? And what, what do they teach you? You know, I have so many mentors that don't even know they're my mentors. Yeah. Silent um, mentors. I, so yeah, do I. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, secret, oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. I've yeah silent mentors. mentors for sure. Yeah, I love magic. You know, um, Margie Sitton, I just was with her the other night. She's at the San Diego Tourism Authority. She's been a mentor for years. I learned so much from her just watching her interact. And she taught me about competitive spin when I was back at the Starwood days, back on the hotel set a long time ago. And I, I, I like her as a human. I like how she builds relationships. And I just, I love being around her. Um, I have, gosh, and Julie Dunkel is somebody that I work with at HPN. She actually runs Nick's endurance sports. She's a badass. Um, <laughs> and she's, she's awesome. I've known her for about 20 years. And then I've had all these other super secret mentors that I, like, you know, there was a, a woman that was um, at a fitness center that I worked for. Um, and she was, she's in the book. She was my mentor. She didn't know it. I had another mentor um, who she got a sales job because she, she booked dental appointments and they said, well, how, what do you know about the printing business? And she's like, listen, I've got to convince people to get root canals every day. I can definitely <laughs> sell your printed binders. So, you know, that woman, her name was, I think Joanne, that was like 30 years ago. So, I mean, I, I, I like to pay attention and I, I will say podcast. I've listened to your podcast a lot this week and I get a lot from podcasts and I find a lot of these people that I've never met before. And I just start following. They're my mentors because I'm learning yeah. a lot. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. I think of, you know, my grandfather, he was born in a village in Bulgaria in 1919, born to be a farmer. And he had to literally read every single book in that village. And then he had to go to another village to get more books. And to think like now in that same village, if there's a boy there and he has internet access, literally he has access to whatever information he wants, yeah. podcasts, YouTube, you know, Google blogs, just you name it, the amount of educational content that's out there and you can follow people and, you know, stay curious, get involved and ask for help. I mean, that's, we talk about that every single week on this podcast. We're so grateful for you spending your time, Mandy. Um, can't wait for this sales tales. I, I'm going to order my copy. Thank I can't you. wait to read it. I can't wait to hear this lessons and stories is how we all learn. And, um, you know, you've spent some incredible time on the battlefield, learning these lessons and stories and the fact that you're out there sharing it with the world. Um, we're grateful. We're grateful that you did that. Where's the best way people can find you? Uh, they can go to my website, mandygraziano.com, uh, Mandy with an I, Graziano with a Z.com. Um, or Instagram is Mandy, mandygraziano.com. TikTok is Mandy Graziano. Um, really, if you just Google Mandy Graziano, you'll find yes. a way to track me down in some way, shape or form. That's beautiful. Well, Stover, uh, we'll put all those links into the show notes. Ian will write an article. Uh, Toby will get everything uh, out on social media. And then 
hopefully we can uh, get you on a clubhouse call one of these Fridays so that uh, I would love that. I love clubhouse. Awesome. Perfect. Well, uh, clubhouse 10 a.m. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know when Mandy is going to be on the show. But thank you guys for listening. As always, you can reach out to me at Sean P. Walchef on all the social platforms. Uh, we appreciate you and we look forward to uh, hearing you guys next week. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Awesome.